very strong for you. Good luck. Good luck. Let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God, you have done great things. Through every storm, you'll be faithful forevermore. You have done great things, and I know you will do it again. For your promises, yes, and amen. You will do great things, God, you do great You conquered the grave, you free every captive and break every chain. Oh God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh God, you have done great things. chain oh god you have done great things we dance in your freedom awake and alive oh jesus our savior your name lifted high oh god you have done great things you have done great things 
Good morning, everybody. It's good to see y'all out here. We were just happy. It's hard to believe that I think this is our eighth week. Yeah, I think my kids, we started back in March. It's been a long time, and we are so thrilled that y'all continue to come out. I know the weather's getting hotter, um, but your faithfulness has been amazing. As I spoke to uh, one of our deacons this week, your faithfulness in attending, but your faithfulness in giving, and all that you have done as a church is truly amazing and is truly humbling. And I'm so thankful that I get to serve here at East Hills of Baptist Church, and I know I speak for our other staff guys, but we want to welcome you here officially. Um, at East Hillsville Baptist Church, if you're worshiping with us from home, we're so glad that you could join us. But um, I want to read a passage of Scripture, Psalm 150. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and the harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. And I know you shouldn't add the Scripture, but in some way I want to say this. Praise Him from your living room. Praise Him from your car. I don't know how you do that. Blow the horn or something. Just say, praise the Lord. Because He is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. And the last verse says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And that is why we're here today. But before we begin our worship, I do want to make one announcement. In your bulletins um, that we have been doing, it is different than the bulletin that you are used to, as you know. But um, one of the announcements I want to highlight, one of the ministries that we have as a church is to pray for one another. And through this time, we've not had a prayer list. And I've had many of you ask, you know, what are some of the needs of the church? How can I pray? And uh, as we go through this transition, we're going to update that prayer list. So we want to want you to help us out. We want to make sure that that stays current and up to date. So uh, just as a part of that process, if you need to add someone to the prayer list officially, we ask that you contact the church office, speak to our secretary, Pam, and she will make a note of that. Get some extra information than we're used to getting to make sure it stays current. We want to make sure that that's something that's up to date so that we can pray for one another as a family when there are needs. So we want to encourage you to uh, do that. But right now, we're going to worship together. So if you, you want to, turn your radios up, and we encourage you to sing with us.
share with you a passage of Scripture that Tim Keller, a Presbyterian pastor, was sharing in his devotion this week. It's in Psalms 11, verses 3 and 4. Please listen. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the Lord is in His holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. King David was getting ready to face one of the most difficult times in his life. Instead of reacting, he responded with these words. His enemy was after him. He was living in a very difficult moment. It was an uncertain time like we live in today. But he responded, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What can we do when we face uncertain times? This is the answer. The Lord in His holy temple. That means He lives within us. He lives within us and He abides within us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll always be with us no matter what we face in life. And that is in our minds. And then we know that the other thing is it's in our hearts. Listen to this. The Lord's throne is in heaven. What does that mean? God's in control. He's in control of all that we do and all that we face. Yesterday, my family and I were driving down the road. I was driving my son's car, and I had our three grandchildren in the back. I thought I was in control, and that car stopped immediately. It's like, it's kind of reminded me when, you know, we bought our kids those little car, uh, play cars, and you turn the steering wheel, and they thought they were driving the car. Well, I thought I was driving the car. And that car stopped, and we almost wrecked. It was, a, it was a scary time for me and my family yesterday. I'm saying that to say this. God is in control. We have to trust Him in these times, in all our times of life. And then we pray together. And as we pray, I want to remember two families. Uh, Albert Children's family out house funeral was Friday. He was one of the associate pastors here at East Tallahassee years ago. Remember Smith also remember the Johnson family. Bobby Johnson is at the funeral yesterday. I want you to pray for that family as we pray together. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you're in control, that you're on your throne. And Father, you're in control of all things, no matter what we go through in life. And Father, we want to thank you for your spirit that lives with us. And Lord, you protect us. And Lord, we're not in control, but you are. And Father, we're to trust you in times of difficulty. Lord, just like David said, Lord, it's I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to flee. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to trust you no matter what I face in life. My faith is in you. And Father, this morning, our faith is in you. And I pray you be with the children of this family this morning. And I be with the Johnson family this morning. And help them throughout these weeks to come. Father, I know. I know what it's like. Father, I know what it's like to trust you. And I know what it's like to have comfort. We come and with your spirit, you are happy in us. We thank you that you're on your throne this morning. You're high and lifted up. And you're worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. So in Jesus' name we pray.
When darkness tries the roll of my voice When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know Oh, I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. And my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Shame no longer has a place to hide. that song, Byron. What a beautiful song. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And as you're turning to Romans chapter 1, I just want to reiterate what Kevin said. Thank you so much for your faithfulness here during these uh, past eight weeks. We started our first outdoor service 
I believe it was on March the 22nd. And uh, we're not 100% sure how long we'll be doing outdoor services. What we will tell you is this, is that if anything changes in the future, we'll try to let you know early in the week if anything changes. But as of right now, we're planning on continue doing outdoor services. And we thank you for your faithfulness, as he said, to, to be here to pray. Uh, so many more people are watching our services now than ever have in the history of East Hales of Baptist Church. So uh, what looked like a bad thing, in, in essence, and it is a bad thing, has turned out really good for the churches. Uh, we're just so blessed. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for giving. Thank you for praying for those of you that serve, uh, all our parking lot team, counting team, those who work uh, in music. I want to thank Sharon for what she does each week for our volunteers who sing, uh, the men who work in sound. I want to thank... Uh, uh, Michael and Ashley for getting here early every Sunday, all the hard work they put in for those that are videoing. Uh, thank you thank you guys so much. This morning's topic is called The Gospel, and it's in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 is what we'll look at this morning. Notice what the Bible says. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. What a tremendous four verses in a tremendous book. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the gospel. Father, I want to thank you for the men and women in my life who have not only shared the gospel, but who have lived the gospel every day. Thank you for a church that stands on the gospel. It's the one thing that cannot be altered ever. Father, I pray that you would encourage us today as we study the gospel. Lord, help us to share the gospel. Help us to praise you for the gospel. Help us to have joy in our hearts because of the gospel. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you alone can do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When you come to Romans, Luther, in his great commentary, said this, Martin Luther. He says, Romans is the gateway to heaven. An open door to paradise, the chief part of the New Testament. He called it the purest gospel. It can never be read too much or pondered too much. He also stated every Christian should know Romans word for word by heart and should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. John Stott, great preacher, writer, commentator, said this of his love-hate relationship with Romans. He says, because of its joyful, painful, personal challenges... It was Paul's devastating exposure of universal human sin and guilt in Romans 1, 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, which rescued me from that kind of superficial, superficial evangelism which is preoccupied only with people's felt needs. 21 epistles, yet Romans is the first. It was not written first, probably the seventh written. It was probably the sixth epistle written by Paul. But when they compiled the New Testament, they put them in order. Romans is always in the premier place. The central theme of the book of Romans is in verse 1. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is directly mentioned in chapter 1 at least five times. In verse 1, it's called the gospel of God. In verse 9, the preaching, Paul says, of the gospel of his son. Verse 15, Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel. In verse 16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. In verse 17, he says, for in it, referring to the gospel, this book is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And point number one, you can see in the bulletin there is this. What is the meaning of the gospel? Verse one, Paul says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel. Why is this important? 
This is why it's important. If you're wrong about the gospel, you'll be wrong about every other part of your theology and doctrine. To be wrong about the gospel as a teacher or a preacher is, is enough to make you to be labeled a heretic. To be wrong about the gospel means you're lost if you're, a, if you're a, 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 a person looking to be saved. It means you're lost, you're unsaved, and perishing with God's wrath still abiding on you. You can't be right with God and wrong about the gospel. Getting the gospel right is that important. One scholar says the gospel, the word gospel is a compound word meaning the good news. You can be saved from the wrath of God and forgiven, given eternal life. In, um, in Luther's commentary, he put it this way. He said, gospel is a Greek word which means a good message, good tidings, good news, a good report, which one sings and tells with rejoicing. So when David overcame the huge Goliath, the good report and the comforting news that came among the Jewish people that their terrible enemy had been slain, that they had been delivered, and that joy and peace had been given to them, and they sang and danced and were happy because of this. This was a good message. The gospel is similar. Jesus Christ has delivered us from the wrath to come, and he has saved us. Stephen Lawson put it this way, the gospel is the good news of salvation through the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to rescue us from the wrath of God. Romans 1.18 says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God is angry, he says, with the wicked every day. It is through the gospel that sinners like you and I are delivered and rescued from the wrath of God. You will never hear anything better than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not just good news. It's the greatest news that will ever enter your ear and come into your heart, the gospel. And notice what Paul says about himself. Notice the messenger point number two of the gospel. Notice verse one, Paul. You can stop right there. He's the most unlikely messenger of the gospel that has ever walked the earth. Paul said this about himself when he would testify about himself. He says, before Christ, I was a blasphemer. That's a strong claim about yourself. He's very honest about that. He said, I was a persecutor of the church. Not just that, but a violent aggressor of the church. He was the one who most opposed the gospel, and that's the exact one that God chose to be as a messenger. God saved him on the Damascus Road. And notice here how he describes himself in verse 1. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And if you really take that down to, the, to, the, to, to what it really means, instead of a bondservant, it's better to say, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, because there's two different meanings. And what Paul is saying here is this, willingly I belong to Jesus, my mouth, my body, my time, my, my life belongs to Jesus. One scholar said Paul recognized that his life was no longer his own. He now belonged to Jesus Christ who had bought him at the cross with the high price of his shed blood. Paul gave himself entirely to the cause of Christ which was centered in the gospel. For the rest of his life he was devoted to the preaching and teaching of the truths of the gospel. And he explains it by saying this, Verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called, sovereignly called by God, not by his choice, to be an apostle. He did not seek this position, nor had he signed up for it. Paul had been sovereignly chosen and called by God himself for his ministry position. When Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, notice how he describes his call. He would say this in Galatians 1, 15 through 16, God set me apart from my mother's womb. Isn't that amazing? Paul said, even before I had any knowledge of the gospel, God in my mother's womb set me apart. He said, he called me through his grace and was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And then Paul makes this interesting statement. 
in verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel. This is the highest calling of anyone's life, to be set apart for the gospel. There's no higher calling. Spurgeon said this about this term, separated to the gospel. If God has called you to be his servant, why stoop to be a king? The word set apart means to mark off by boundaries, to set apart for a special purpose. It carries the idea of separation to a specific assignment. Paul understood that he had been set apart by God for the specific specific purpose of spreading the gospel far and wide. Now notice, Stephen Lawson put it this way, by these three designations, Paul said, I'm a slave, I'm an apostle, and I've been set apart. Paul is wanting there to be no misunderstanding about who he is, He is merely a messenger of the gospel, not its author. He is simply a servant of the gospel, not its originator. Very important because point number two, notice the source of the gospel. The Bible says this in verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated, now notice, to the gospel of God. Who is the author? Not Paul. Where does it come from? The gospel comes from God. It is about God and from God. It has come from heaven, outside of this world. It is not of this world. It is from God to man. God is the author and architect of the gospel. The gospel is not made up by some denomination or group of spiritual men sitting in a room. It is from the genius, infinite genius of the mind of God. Stephen Lawson said this, If you would get the greatest religious minds and put them in a room and give them 10,000 years, they still would not come up with the glorious gospel. Who could do this but God? that God would send His perfect Holy Son to this world through the womb of a virgin to die on a cross and resurrect so that sinners could be saved. Jesus came to this earth to fulfill all of the law, every jot and every tittle of the moral law, which we break every day even though we're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why John called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He would die on a cross and bear our sin in God's wrath. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. Who would think this up but God? It is the gospel of God. It is the perfect gospel of God. This is why you should never, ever, ever alter the gospel. Never allow yourself to be in a church that alters the gospel. Never listen to a speaker or read a book that alters the gospel. Paul said this in Galatians 1, 8 and 9. Listen to how Paul says it. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Paul would not have a coexist bumper sticker on his boat. He would say, as God says, there's one religion that is right and all others are wrong. Notice how the distinction is made of the gospel. Look at the word the in verse 1. Every time the Bible mentions gospel, there is a definite article the before it. In verse 9, verse 15, verse 16. This shows the exclusiveness of the gospel. This is not, there is not many ways to heaven, God is saying. There is one way. Proverbs 14 says this, There is a way which seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Which means this, every self-conceived way to God whether by human religion, wisdom, or morality, leads to eternal death. Jesus picks up on that and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus claimed an exclusive monopoly 
on how to come to God. When Paul Peter stood before the Sanhedrin, he said, There is salvation in no other name other than the name of Jesus. There is a zero tolerance policy for tampering with the gospel. Don't take away from it. Don't add to it. This is God's gospel, God's solution to cure our dilemma. And he is the source. Number four, notice the antiquity of the gospel. Notice what the Bible says in verse 2. This gospel which he, God, promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And what Paul is showing us here is the eternality of the gospel. It's an old story. The word which in verse 2, the very first word of verse 2, refers to the gospel. How? Through the prophets. A parade of prophets proclaimed the gospel in the Old Testament. One scholar put it this way. The gospel was announced to Adam and Eve in the garden, believed by Abraham, recorded by Moses, pictured and foreshadowed in Leviticus and the, the Levitical system, cherished by David, foretold by Isaiah, announced by Ezekiel. The gospel proclaimed in the New Testament was promised in the Old Testament. When Jesus rose from the dead, he expounded scripture about himself from the Old Testament. Notice in Luke 24, 47, the Bible says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And Jesus was saying this, All of the Old Testament is about me. Affirming once again, there is only one way to salvation. There is not an Old Testament way to be saved and a New Testament way to be saved. There is not a way for the Jew to be saved and a way for the Gentile to be saved. There is one way. It is ancient from the beginning of time. The gospel has not changed. Anytime, anywhere, for all time, anyone has been made right with God. It has been through the same gospel. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is the only way to be saved. All other ways are false, untrue, and should not even be considered as a way to be made right with God. Only one person has fulfilled all the Old Testament messianic prophecies, and that person is Jesus. From Genesis to Malachi, thousands of passages foretold a servant king who would save us from our sin and establish God's perfect everlasting kingdom. When Jesus came, he fulfilled all 300 of these prophecies. That's amazing. Now think about this. Peter Stoner, in his classic book, Science Speaks, calculated the chance of any man fulfilling these prophecies, even down to the present time, to be one to the tenth to the seventeenth one in ten to the seventeenth power. Stoner then upped the ante significantly. He looked at the odds of any man fulfilling even just forty-eight of the three hundred Old Testament prophecies. The odds jumped to ten to the hundred and fifty-seventh power. Now think about this. Some of the prophecies were stated four hundred four thousand years before Jesus was born. Many more 1,500 years, 1,000 years, 500 to 700 years before his birth. The gospel is an ancient gospel, which is just as relevant today as it was. Paul said that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And then the final thing is this. The person of the gospel. Notice verse 3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh... And what Paul is saying here in just this one verse, he sums up the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. An amazing statement, just there in one verse. And he's saying the gospel is about a person. You place your faith in a person. You don't place your faith in the atonement or just the resurrection. You place your faith in the resurrected Christ. Jesus saves the person. Notice what it says, concerning his son. 
which means the gospel is not about your hopes and your dreams. It is, not a, it is about Jesus, and if you have no Jesus, you have no gospel. He says this, the Son, the Son of what? The Son of God. Talking about the deity who, of Jesus who is co-equal and co-eternal with God. Paul writing to the church at Colossians, and church at Colossians, Colossians 2.9 said this, For in Him, meaning Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. John 1.1 says this, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Isaiah 9.6 says, You will have a son, and you will call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. All these talking about the deity of Jesus. Jesus, this, this God-man, became a man to die. He became a man to fulfill the law and provide a perfect sacrifice. He also became a man to be our mediator. Paul, writing to Timothy, says there's one God and one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. Now, why is that important? Listen to what one scholar says. In order to be a mediator, he said, Jesus Christ had to be truly God and truly man in order to be our mediator. A mediator stands between two parties who have a falling out in order to make peace between the two offended sides. These two parties are at enmity with one another. Or worse, they are at war with one another. In order to make reconciliation, a mediator has to be equal to both sides. That's an amazing thought. There can be no partiality toward either side. So he has to be equal with humans and equal with God. Who can do that? Only Jesus. Jesus had to be truly God if he was to represent God to us. And he had to be truly man if he was to represent us before God. No one else could have stood between God and the human race and mediated reconciliation between the two separated parties. No one else could have propitiated the righteous anger of God toward us. No one else could have redeemed us out of the slave market of sin no one except the one who is truly God and truly man. And Jesus Christ, this God-man, is the only Savior. Now listen to what I say as we get close to closing. Do not compare Jesus to anybody. It is blasphemy. Jesus is not a good moral teacher and example. He is worthy of our praise right now in heaven according to the book of Revelations. Angels are praising the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the world. Don't compare Jesus to any other religious leader. Don't compare Jesus to, to Buddha, Muhammad, or anybody else. That is blasphemy. Jesus is God in the flesh. He has no equal. If your pastor does not preach Jesus as the only Savior, the only Lord, the only King of kings, you're in a cult and you're responsible for leading yourself, your family, on a road that will lead you to hell. And I would encourage you to get out now. And all of God's people said... Amen. What nearly all religions and spiritualities hold in common is a theme that if there is a Savior, it's the people saving themselves, not in Christianity. It was announced before the birth of, at the birth of Christ, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christianity is different. Christianity alone is right. All other religions and cults are wrong. John Calvin rightly said, the whole gospel is contained in Jesus Christ. Notice verse 3 gives us the person of Christ and verse 4 in closing gives us the proof of Christ. How can we know Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Notice verse 4. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. One scholar on Romans says the ultimate validation that Jesus Christ is exactly who He claimed to be is the resurrection. Early in his public ministry, Jesus said this, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll rise it up. Later, Jesus said, Just as Jonah was in, 
was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus also said the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead unmistakably affirms his full deity as the only way to heaven. That word declared could mean to authenticate. And I'll share this story in closing. Back when I was younger, I used to collect football, baseball, and basketball cards. And I would always find out if you could get a rookie card, they were the most valuable. And I was going to Jamestown Flea Market to get a Ricky Henderson rookie card in the 90s. And I said, if I, I probably can talk one of these guys out of a Ricky Henderson rookie card because I knew they were worth a lot of money. When I got there, I couldn't find a Ricky Henderson rookie card, but I, I found one man who was selling cards. And he had a really weird-looking O.J. Simpson rookie card. It was really weird-looking. I collect cards since I was little. And I thought, this is unique. Now, this is before O.J. got in all his trouble, right? And I was a running back fan. I, I told the guy... I said, is this a real card? Is this a real card? It looks so unique. He said, son, it's a real card. And you know people at flea markets don't lie. You know they don't lie. You know they have ex expertise and knowledge. And the guy said, I'll tell you what I'll do for you, son. I'll sell you this card, this O.J. Simpson rookie card for $10. I said, man, I'll take it. I thought, I just, I just, I just made the biggest buy of my life because I knew what O.J. Simpson rookie card was worth. So when I got the card, I was so happy. It was a weird-looking card, but it was a rookie card, right? So I got all these books about how much cards are worth, and guess what I couldn't find? I couldn't find this card anywhere, anywhere. About two months later, I go to the mall because they had a guy was buying and selling baseball cards and football cards. So I go up to this guy and I hand him a card. I said, how much would you give me for that? And he looked at it. You know what he did? He just dropped it. He said, son, this is worthless. This is worth nothing. This is worth, how much do you pay for it? And I wouldn't tell him. It's worth, you know why? Because it could not be authenticated. Now look at verse 4 again. Declared. Authenticated. What authenticates Jesus? The resurrection from the dead. If your Savior has not risen from the dead, your faith and your religion is worthless. It is worthless. And what Paul is saying is there's only one who has risen from the dead. And I'll close by saying this. Have you ever trusted Christ alone for your salvation? Have you been born again? What are you trusting in right now for your salvation? Believe in the gospel. Every day I get up, I thank God for the gospel. It is good news. It is glad tidings. It gives me joy, peace, hope, and happiness regardless of what happens in this world because Jesus is mine and I am His and He is my Savior. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, the Bible would encourage you to trust Him today alone for your salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul said, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for the gospel. Father, we want to thank you for Jesus. Father, there's no one like Jesus. Father, if there's anyone today in the parking lot or online who has never placed their faith and trust in Jesus, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. Father, I pray that they would repent, turn from their sins, and turn to Christ and be gloriously born again. Father, I think all of us today could say, thank you, Jesus, for the gospel. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for not only saving us, but changing our lives. And just like Paul, Lord, you can give us purpose. Set us apart for the gospel, for that cause. Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you alone can do, and we love you today. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Thank you.